Welcome to the Living Savior Church. Praise the Lord. We love Jesus here. Jesus loves us. He's a great and mighty God. He's a miracle-working God. He's a God of judgment. He's a God of patience. He's a God of mercy. And He's a God that will put you to the test. (laughs) That's the part we don't like, isn't it? I don't like to be put to the test, Lord. I have all the patience I need. <laughs> oh, yeah, he says. Let's see if you do. Oh, every time I talk to somebody in church, you know, that has a problem, and of course, everybody in church has a problem. <laughs> I don't care who they are. Oh, me. And you talk to a mother. She's got a problem with her son. Or you talk to a daddy, and he's got a problem with his daughter. You know, I said, gee, I know I'm the only man in church that must have a rebellious daughter. I said, yep, you're, you're the only one. <laughs> only one, you know. And then you turn and you meet the next person, and they got the same problems. Only they got three of them like that. And so, you know, that's amazing how we in the church have got our problems, our trials, and our tests. You know, but if we everything went great, just think, if everything went perfect every day and your children were all serving the Lord and your grandchildren, if you were that old, were all serving the Lord and you had a beautiful, nice car to drive and it was paid for and the insurance was paid up on it and you had a beautiful home and it was paid for and the insurance was paid and you had enough money in the bank to make the payments uh, to the uh, government at the end of the year to pay all your taxes and all this stuff, and then you just have another ten or twenty or fifty thousand sitting out there in the bank just to do nothing with, you know, you could think, who needs God, right? I mean, everything's going great. Who needs God? You know, that's why we don't have all that. Because every time we have all of that, you know, we get to the point where we think, well, you know, who, I mean, maybe I don't need God. Maybe I am doing all of this. And, uh, of course, as soon as we get to that point, the Lord says, oh, 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 whoop, you gone over the hill now. We're going to, I'm going to humble you just a little bit here. I'm going to do this to you or that to you or whatever. And uh, He will. Uh, so it's amazing, you know, the trials and tests that we go through. So, you know, I want to tell you, you know, you're going to have them. You know, get used to it. You know, it's a natural way of life having trials and tests, but the king promised to be with you through all those trials and tests. And, you know, you look back over your life and you think, you know, why did I worry about that? Why was I even concerned about that? He he comes through for me. You know, everything worked out great. You know, and, you know, you'll you'll have your trials and tests. You'll live over them. You know, and uh, so, you know, when somebody says, well, you haven't had any trials like I have. Oh, yeah, I've had mine. You know, and I'll have more. I know. I'll have more. I can think back where some of you are right now. I can think back years ago whenever I was flying as an airline pilot, you know. And, I mean, I'm flying big jets all over the world. Some of you don't know. That's a pretty good paying job, you know. And you get a lot of time off and everything. And, wow, I mean, I had everything I needed, you know. But guess what? I spent every nickel every month. You know, I mean, so many people live like that. Makes wonder where you make a hundred dollars a month, or a thousand dollars a month, or ten thousand dollars a month. 
you know, until you learn how to manage, you spend every nickel you get every month. And sometimes a few nickels beyond what you have. You know, because you got a credit card, and you think, well, I know I'm going to have a $1,000 check come in next week, so, you know, I don't have no money in the bank, but i got a credit card, you know, and I need this, and I need that. And so, okay, you go ahead and spend, and first thing you know, you've got your credit card up to twenty or 30000 You know, I remember one day flying with a captain. We were coming back across. And uh, now, this was in uh, 1968. And you know, in 1968, $52,000 a year was a pretty good salary. You know that? You know, some people say, wow, $52,000 a year, pretty good salary today. Yeah, it's not bad. But in 1968, this captain I was flying with, he was making $52,000 a year. And he said, you know, I sure hope they got my paycheck when we get back. I said, well, payday was a couple days ago. He said, I know, but they got mine messed up, and they didn't have mine. And he said, I've got to have that money to make my payments. I said, Captain, I said, surely you're not in that bad a shape. He said, I'm telling you, Thurman, he said, I've got to have that money when I get back. I've got creditors hanging out there that got to have their money. I said, I looked him right in the eye and I said, all i got to say for you, if you're making $52,000 a year and you're living that tight, I said, you're just a very poor manager of your money. That's all i got to say to you. But that just goes to show that it makes no matter how much money you make if you don't learn how to take care of it. You can spend it all and have nothing, have nothing. But I had a trial. I, I was one of those. I wasn't making $50,000 a year at that time, but I was making a pretty good salary. But I was spending it all. And then I went out on a trip <coughs> to uh, Vietnam. And when we came back around, when I got to San Francisco, the day I left, I'd been gone about 15 days on that trip, and the day I left, I got a notice in my mailbox after I took off that I was furloughed in 30 days. That means laid off. So when I got back, I had 15 days already into this notice. They had to give me 30 days notice. And I don't have no money in the bank. I don't have no money, period. I spent it all. I'm living thinking I'm going to have a good paycheck every month come in. Well, let me tell you, it was cut off. So we all go through those trials and tests. I remember getting in my car and telling the guy out there, I won't be back. You can have your little apartment back. <laughs> you know, I've taken good care of it, and uh, uh, I'm going to have to move out. You can have the payment to the end of the month, but I ain't going to be back because uh, i just been laid off. I had a little apartment out there in San Francisco, California. And so I got in my car, and I drove nonstop from San Francisco, California to Dallas, Texas, and uh, you know, and uh, Louisville, Texas, where I lived. And when I walked in, uh, my wife at the time, she said, I told her, I said, what happened? I said, I've been laid off. She said, what? You've been laid off? She said, how are we going to live? I said, I don't know. At this point, I don't know. She said, you know, we don't have no money in the bank. I said, yeah, I know. I know. I mean, that's a pretty poor way to live from payday to payday. You know that? You know, but I know many people that do that. And I was one of those. But see, God knew that's the way I was. So He had to put me to that test and show me where I was messing up. And I, I said, you know, this is what I'm going to do. This is going to teach me a real lesson. And I can see God saying, oh, okay, now we're getting somewhere. I said, I'm never going to live like this again. Never. I said, from this day forth, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. But I said, as long as the Lord will leave me healthy with these hands, I will make us a living. I can work. 
And so I did, and I started working on cars. I had a little shop right there at my house that I'd built, and Sunday when I went to church, somebody said, oh, Thurman, you're back in town. I said, yeah, I'm laid off. I'm going to be back in town permanently. I guess I'll be in church every Sunday from now on. Because when I was flying, I was only there once in a while, you know, because I had to fly on Sunday a lot. And I, they said, what are you going to do? I said, well, I don't know. I guess I'm going to work on cars or something because I don't have anything else to do. And when I said, well, i got something that needs to be done on my car. you want to fix it? And I said, yeah. And so I took his car, and that went through the church. And the church, from the people in the church, I was able to stay busy fixing their cars and made a you know, nice little uh, living that I could live off of. And I give everybody a great deal on their cars. I've you know, done them a good job for a reasonable price. And, of course, I had more business than I could take care of. And I've done it all in my house, right there at my little garage, right there in my house. So I made a living. But out of that, I learned a great lesson. From this day forth, don't ever spend all you have. I don't care if you don't make but $100 a month. Don't spend it all. You know, spend part of it. Take the money. Live in a house that you can afford. You know, don't live in a house that you can't afford. And too many people do that. Somebody said, well, we've got this good job. I'm working. My wife's working. Now we're now making $100,000 a year, so we need to live in a $350,000 house. But we've got a $100,000 house paid for. No, 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 no. Keep that little booger. Just stay right there where you are. You know, don't. The taxes go up and everything else. So, you know, don't move up. Just start saving money. And that's what I did. I, from that day forth, I stopped spending money. I mean, I stopped spending money. And that's why some people think that I'm, you know, well, Thurman, all you're interested in is money. That's right. I guarantee I'm interested in money, and I don't spend it foolishly. I know what I've got, and I know I've got it, and I know I'll work for it, and I know I ain't spending it unless I've got it. And I don't ever spend a nickel on a credit card that I can't pay when the payments come due this next month. If I ain't got the money, I don't spend it. If I don't have the money, I ain't going, you know. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to go out and eat, put it on a credit card, and knowing I don't have the money in the bank to take care of it. I don't do that. So, I learned my lesson to not spend money. I learned my lesson to stay in a little small house. I lived in a nice little house and put, make the house payment, pay the insurance on it, Make my little car payment. And when I got my car paid for, from that day forth, after that, I never had another car payment. Never. I did it the other way. I became the banker, and whenever I got a car, I started saving money and making payments to myself, putting it in a special account to let it draw interest. And when I got the money in the bank, when I needed another car, then I went to looking, and I paid cash for the car, when I paid cash for the car, I had to have no insurance on it except liability, and that saved me a ton of money. And I've saved enough money in my life not buying insurance on my car to pay for every car I've ever driven in my life. And I don't buy new ones. I never have bought a new car. Oh, well, I say never have. I have bought one or two, but I normally buy, a, just like that little great gold Chrysler I drive, God gave me that car. He spoke to a Baptist preacher one day and told him to bring me that car. He could not believe the Lord spoke to him and told him. When he said, Lord, why are you trying to tell me about this car? And he said, call Thurman. When he called me, he said, Thurman, you may think I'm crazy, but are you looking for a car? I said, well, yes, I am. Why? He said, because the Lord, I'm trying to trade off my Chrysler, and I cannot get the paperwork transferred. And I got completely indignant with these people on the way home. And I said, God, what is going on? And he said, I heard the Lord clearly say, call Thurman. He said, so are you looking for a car? I said, I sure am. I'm looking for one. 
He said, well, I've got this 97 Chrysler. I owe $5,700, $5,600-something, and there's $5,700 on it. He said, that's the payoff on it. He said, it's got uh, 60,000 miles on it. There's not a thing wrong with it. Would you be interested in it? I said, I'll take it. God told you to call me. It's my car. He brought that car out. Uh, he could not transfer that. He went down to American Airlines Credit Union where he had it financed. He could not get that car transferred. He tried to trade it into the dealer. He spent all day in that place trying to get the title transferred, and they couldn't get it done all day long. He said, when I left that afternoon, I submitted to him. I thought, what is going on? And the next day when he called me for that evening, and the next day when he brought the car up, I had already went down to the bank. I said, I don't know where they'll take a check down there. So I went down to my bank. I drew out the $5,700 in $100 bills. And when he got there, I said, okay. He drove. said, you want to drive it? I said, no, let's go. Let's go down to American Airlines and let's transfer it to my name. He said, well, Thurman, don't you want to look under the hood? I said, no, I don't need to see that. God told you to call me. It's my car. God don't never make a mistake. I don't need to do nothing except just drive this thing. So we went down to American Airlines. We walked in there and said, this 97 crisis, this serial number, we need to transfer it to my name. The lady said, go right over at that window right there, and I'll have the title there by the time you get there. I walked over. There it was. I said, how much you owe? She said, $5,765. I think it was. I said, she said, how do you want to pay for it? I said, you take cash? She said, I do. I handed her the $100 bill. She counted them out. In five minutes, I was out there with that car in my name. See? And I'm still driving it. I never had no problems with it. It's just run perfect all these years. Got 110,000 miles on it now. Never had no troubles with it whatsoever. See, when you serve God, God will take care of you. You don't have to worry about nothing. But he didn't put me in a, a brand new $50,000 or $60,000 car. He put me in a 97 Chrysler with 60,000 miles of which I could pay for, which I had no payments. See? Now, see, somebody says, well, I don't want to drive an old 97 Chrysler. You know, I want a brand new one. Okay. Well, when you get to the point where you got that kind of money and you can make it, then maybe you can drive that kind of car. But see, when you humble yourself before God, He'll give you something to drive. And when He gives you something, I worshiped and praised Him for that 97 Chrysler just like I would have that have been a $100,000 car. You know, as far as I was concerned, that thing got me back and forth everywhere I wanted to go very comfortable. Very comfortable. You know, I mean, who needs anything better than that? See? But yeah, I learned a lesson through that trial and test. Don't spend all my money. Pay off, pay my house off. You know, live in a small house, something I can afford. Something that if my wife is working, if she is, and all of a sudden she loses her job, it ain't going to make any difference in our income. I see people all the time, young men and young women get married, and they got to keep up with the Joneses. So they go buy them a big, beautiful home that they can barely make payments on with both of them working. And then, lo and behold, what usually happens to most couples after they get married, mama gets pregnant. And then when mama gets pregnant, she's got to stop working. It's hard to work. Of course, I know you girls are just wimps, you know. You girls ought to be able to work right up to the day, deliver the baby, go back to work tomorrow. That's what you all need to be able to do. <laughs> but that's not the way it works, is it? Not hardly. You can't do that. But, you know, that's the way the system is set up. You almost have to do that to keep going. And then when you wind up with that little critter, you find out that there's more expenses involved there. And now you really got a problem because you've got baby or babies to take care of. And now mama's got to stay home. And now then you're in a straight, I can't make it. Hey, sell that big house. Get you a little one. Sell your fancy high-dollar car, get you a cheap one, you know, and go from there. 
And that's the way you got to do that. But I went through one of those trials and deaths, and God taught me a lesson in that one, that I started saving money. I stopped spending money. He knew I would never. If he had left me like I was, I could have got to $100,000 a year, and I would have spent every nickel, and I would have still been in debt. But he put that test on me, and I learned my lesson, and I saw what he was doing. I didn't really understand all this then, but I started saving money, putting money in investments and taking care of it and everything. And then, of course, from that day forth, I never was out of money. Now then, it wasn't but a few months till I was able to go back to flying again, and I had a good income again, but I lived on a very low amount of money, and I put all that money in investments and savings. I saved it. I didn't wastefully throw it away. I didn't go out and buy things just because I had the money. I didn't go out and buy things I didn't need. I saved it. And so by doing that, in later life, I was able to build me another beautiful home you know, and pay cash for it. I never borrowed a penny when I built that big, beautiful two-story home out there that I've now given to my son and his wife. I never borrowed a penny to buy it, you know, but I have not bought big, fancy automobiles, you know, because I didn't have that kind of money. If I'd have done that, then I wouldn't have the money to build that house. So anyway, you've got to learn through your trials and tests. And when you learn what God's trying to teach you through your trials and tests, you can come to a new level. And, of course, one of the things that the devil does, you know, if you don't know there's a devil out there by now, if you come to this church, you probably realize there's a devil out there. Because I talk about him once in a while. But I'm going to tell you that if you don't know it yet, you have a set a team of personal devils assigned to you from the day you're born. And those personal devils are assigned to you to put you to the test through your life. You know, they're there. God sends them. You know, He He has given the devil the the job to take care of all these things to put you and me to the test as we go through life to try us to see what we're made out of. God tests and proves us through everything in your life. He is behind everything that goes on. He's behind everything. He knows what's going on. And now some people have a hard time with this, that God would do that to you. Well, let me tell you, we're going to read some things today out of the Scriptures. We're going to start here in a few minutes in Matthew chapter 7 is where we're going to go. And I'm going to show you some of these things that God says He will do in His Word that the average person really don't believe God will do what he says. But this book is full of things that God wrote, and if he wrote it, that's what you're going to be judged around. So you better read the owner's manual. Now, before we get started today, I want to ask, is there anybody that has a testimony that you want to give? Well, I need this guy, one this little teacher back here. we got one back here, too. Y'all come on up here. As soon as Juanita gets through with hers, you will be next. Come up here, Juanita, and tell us what God's done for you, girl. Yeah. So I'm expecting great things, and already I've seen two or three miracles I lost count. Um, I've been struggling with stream energy ever since I switched over to them, and every month they pull all kind of stuff, and every month I have to call them and complain and beg for my credits. And went to the Public Utility Commission, and they still didn't answer two things, like why did I get my January bill in May, and why did they quote me one price and then charge me more? But... Um, 
after they gave me a three-page letter explaining the spreadsheet, which was really misrepresented, but I go, hey, give me a bottom line, you know. So I paid that. I paid a couple more bills. And then I got a disconnect notice for $70, and it was going to be before I had any more money. And so I said, God, I'm part of this. I don't owe this money. The last bill I got, they said I owed them $12.43 late fee, which I didn't. But they gave me a $78 credit, so I said, God, you handle that. If I complain, I'll take my credit away. <laughs> so then I, I uh, called them, and they left me on the phone for a half an hour, and they said that I owed $129. And I go, I am so tired of this. So the lady that wrote me the three-page letter was going to review my account. So uh, she put it off on another lady, and they finally called me, and, and uh, she saw some more mistakes and fixed them. And, and I'm saying, God, I don't know this. Well, in the meantime, I went to a small prayer group from Gateway Women, and they took up a collection and gave me twice the money that the company said I owed. And I said, praise the Lord, but I said, I don't owe it. And I still believe in God that I don't owe it. And I know you're going to fix it. I'm leaving it in your hands. Well, the lady finally got it down to $61. And I said, God, that's not my miracle yet. I'm still waiting. So she, I, she says, uh, I said, well, how am I going to pay this? I said, I'm not paying it until I got something in my hand that says I owe it. And why I owe it and why that amount? Because you're always changing on me. She goes, I tell you what. She says, I'm just going to write this off. And I go, yes, that's my miracle. Thank you, Jesus. But then um, I had a worm or virus or something on my computer. Well, Dave came over to check my microwave and check my, the seal on my refrigerator. And I said, well, what's this on my computer? Well, he ended up taking it home. And um, so he just wiped out my hard drive, and I freaked out. I got all my all my pictures, my documents, everything. And then I really hit my knees. I said, okay, Satan, you are not taking all this stuff away from me. Four visits on my airplane, two weddings, pictures of Mike, my dog, you name it, my documents, my receipts. I said, I am not taking this line down. I want them back. God, I want them back. So I started praying big time. And God told me, he said, my name is above every name, and that includes Microsoft and Bill Gates. And I said, thank you, Jesus. And so I just started believing that he was going to give me back my files. Dave didn't know how he was going to get them back, but I knew I was getting them back. He got them back. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So I said, I'm sorry, Father, for not backing up my files. Everybody go home, back up your files. You don't want to lose them. Amen. Amen. Learned a lesson there, didn't you? Oh, yeah. Yes. So Dave got rid of my worm, and and, uh, I'm just like, yes. Thank, Thank you, you, Jesus. Hey, praise the King. Praise the King. Praise the King. Amen. Praise the Lord. We've got a little lady here has got a testimony. She wants to tell us something here. Praise the Lord. All right. Okay. My mama and me been praying for a sister, and now my mama has a sister and her mom and her belly. Oh, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. I got another little sister or brother or something in there, huh? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. We got another one? Phil's got one here. Praise the King. Praise the Lord. 
All right. I've been trying to convince Krista to come up here and give this, but she won't do it. <laughs> no. Um, well, we had a little baby girl, as most of you know, and uh, we had her at home um, with a midwife. And because um, we didn't want to go through all the hospital stuff. And there's a lot of stuff that happened, but the really awesome thing that God did was uh, uh, it took a really, really long time. It took like, what, 24 hours? Yeah, and um, so uh, by the end of it, we were we were both just completely exhausted. Didn't think we were gonna uh, be able to even push whenever it came time. And um, so uh, we got through the whole thing. We had her uh, in like six contractions. Once it came to the pushing point, she just came right out. And um, um, then afterward, they delivered the placenta and. Uh, we're both just so excited, you know, that it's over, it's all done with. And then um, I look over, and there is a gushing volcano of blood coming out of her. And uh, I had, I knew there was going to be blood, but not that much blood. I knew that wasn't right. And um, so the midwife looks over at me and she says, "Okay, Phil, it's time to pray." And so, and so I prayed according to. Uh, Mark 16, right? I can't remember right now. Uh, I spoke to it and commanded it to uh, 11.23, right? I knew it then. I really did. Um, But anyway, um, I spoke to it and I commanded it to to clot up and, and stop bleeding and automatically, bam, it stopped automatically, just completely. And they didn't have to. She she was getting out her kit, and she had this medical stuff that she was going to do that she would do. She's only seen this once or twice before, and uh, by the time she, you know, by the time I got done praying, it was completely just, uh, you know, God just closed it up right away. And um, so she she was just. Both of them had never seen anything like that in their entire lives. They're both praising God. And I'm praising God. So it was just awesome that God. There was many other things that happened too, but it would take a long time um, to tell you. But it was just amazing that God would show himself to these two ladies through this experience. And to us as well, we're, we grew a lot. But anyway, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. This is, this is one more of these trials and tests that I'm telling you you're going to go through. See, when God sends those personal demons to you, they're there to attack you to do these things. And God is there, and He's given you dominion and power, and He's going to find out, or you're going to use His Word, and you're going to trust Him to stand by faith to get these things done. And so the enemy attacked Krista. She started bleeding like crazy, and Phil came on the scene with the Word of God. Now, the Lord's sitting there saying, okay, son, what are you going to do? He's not, he's not concerned. He knows what's going on. And when Phil prayed in faith, he said, oh, now I can do something. And and the blood stops. Isn't it amazing, the trials and tests that God's going to put you through? He's not going to let everything in the world work perfect for you without prayer. Because he wants you to learn to depend on him. And when you learn to depend on him, hey, you know that nothing is impossible with God. He can do all things. Now then, my honey bunny wants to tell you a little bit about 
Christ Haven and, and what all has been going on, and God has been using this mightily. Yes, He has. First thing I want to tell you about is the, the Christmas party we're having on Friday, December the 29th at Marlene Mitchell's house, and there's a little sheet over there by the giving box. Y'all pick one up and uh, the, for everybody to come for finger foods and party foods and uh, just to come to get to know each other and fellowship. So be sure you come to that. Okay. I talked to God a couple of days ago. I said, Lord, I think I need a couple more thousand dollars. Could you help me out? <laughs> and besides that, I needed people to come wrap. So we had a huge wrapping party yesterday. And then all last week, the staff uh, was helping wrap. Well, yesterday, all the Cronins came out. Deborah came out. Sharon and Kathy, of course, were working all the time from the staff. And Rebecca and Alex and their two children and a later lady, Candy Cobar, from the uh, Flower Mound Social Club, which is through Chrissy's Restaurant. And so just all these people showed up, and they just started rapping. And Gina Moore, I, th- I think I c- covered everybody, but they just started rapping. Well, I, it started at 10 o'clock. I got up early, came in there, was, you know, getting everything together. And so about 5 o'clock, I had to leave because I had a, a, a singing party, a Christmas party last night. Well, it ended up that by that time, they had finished all of Christ Haven, which was a lot, let me tell you. Then they started on open arms, and I think around 8 o'clock, they finished everything we had so far for open arms. Okay. Well, I told the Lord I need a couple thousand more dollars. Well, I got 550 in the mail, and I got another 300 given by another family. So I had 850, and then I got two phone, well, I got two emails. And I didn't know who these people were because I didn't know what had happened. Well, the day, on Saturday, December the 9th, this little paper came out. And it was called the, it's the Southern Denton County. It serves Louisville, Flower Mound, Highland Village, and the Colony. Well, lo and behold, first page, full-page article, Little Pete's Fifth Annual Christmas Benefit is set with pictures and everything. It quotes me all through it. I didn't talk to these people. <laughs> but they got one of my little flyers. And so they quoted my flyer. Then they told a little bit about Christ Haven. They even put two pictures in there. They told about Open Arms Home, which I didn't really, myself didn't even really know all this stuff about the Open Arms. Um, that besides giving, they, they tell 900 homeless abused women and children is a step-by-step method they provide for uh, rebuilding traumatized lives. They teach them about nonviolent domestic behavior, you know, how to have nonviolent domestic behavior to the children, not only to the mothers. They try to keep the children with the mothers instead of placing them elsewhere. And well, which I know this is really connected to Christ Haven, so sometimes the children do leave the mothers. And so it's like, I'm going, wow, look at this. Then all of a sudden, I get these emails. Well, I email these people back and send them the wish list and don't know who they are. Don't know that this has happened. You see, I've been talking to God. He's doing something I don't even know. Okay? So, uh, on the way to church here today, okay, so yesterday I get $850. So, I was going, oh, cool, cool. Lord, you're almost halfway there. I know <laughs> I know that I'm going to get a little bit from Christy because because uh, when we have the party December the 16th, and I want all of y'all to come from 2 to 4, Saturday, December 16th, next Saturday, out at Christie's Restaurant, Little Pete's, it's just you just won't even believe it. Our whole house is full of presents. Yes. 
Absolutely. People can testify. There's a little bitty walking trail into our bedroom. The rest of it is full of presents. It's just amazing. It's just amazing. Well, Benny Keith and U.S. Foods, they give money, and then they charge $10 for people to eat the buffet with the kids and everything. It's so all that money comes to us, too. I know that's coming, and then we usually get a little bit of cash. Well, this lady calls me on the way here, and she says, okay, I'm going to buy everything for this one little boy, and which somebody needed to go to Toys R Us, and I thought it was me. <laughs> No, she's going. She's buying it all. I said, praise God, thank you. Thank you so much. So there went another hundred today. So now I'm up to nine fifty. He's almost really pushing me over the edge, you know. But I'm going, God, this is so great because you know, sometimes I think, Oh wow, this is just over a little overwhelming, you know. It's a lot of kids and a lot of presents and a lot of things to do and keep up on and all that and it's like God just keeps moving on people's hearts. Amen. Amen. So thank you, Jesus. All you got to do is talk to the King. Praise the King. All right. Let's go to the Word. Thank you, Jesus, for the Word. The most important thing in the world, the Word. Matthew 7. Matthew 7, 7 is where we're going to start out. Matthew 7, 7, I'll be reading out the NLT, and this is about how to make prayer become effective in your life. This is what Jesus was teaching us, how to make prayer work for you. And many of us are like I was most of my life as a Southern Baptist deacon, Sunday school teacher, and all that thing, all those things that I did in church all of my life, uh, I guess until I was 40 years old, I don't remember if I ever saw God answer a prayer, uh, you know, for myself. If I did, I didn't know it. What a shame. You know, what a shame that I can be in church and serving God and don't know how to pray. Don't know how to ask for anything in faith, but He's no respecter of persons. He makes no matter who you are. Makes no difference if you're one of His Sunday school teachers, one of His deacons, or whatever you are makes no difference if you don't do it His way. He's not going to do it for you. You've got to do things God's way. He's written a book. He watches over His Word to perform His Word. And He's not hard to get along with at all as long as you do it His way. You know, when you do it His way, hey, He's great. When you don't do it His way, He just don't do nothing. And so, you know, He just has... He said, Benjamin, you're not doing it my way, son. You ain't getting nothing. Well, when you say, but Lord, I'll do it your way, he said, fine, now we're getting somewhere. Now then, we're getting somewhere. So, this is, in 7-7, this is something that a lot of people ask me since I've learned how to walk in faith and have seen the Lord answer my prayers in so many miraculous, wonderful ways in the last 20 years. Is it a sin if I ask God to do something for me more than once? You know, now, you'll see some people that'll tell you. And of course, one of the greatest preachers that I know of, he said, if I prayed for you once, that's all I need to pray for you. He was a great man of faith. And once in a while, when God moves on my heart like that, I even do that. In fact, the other day, uh, we had an experience just like this. The other day, Cheryl was getting ready to go uh, to a meeting to draw, get money from different groups for these uh, Christmas gifts for these kids. And she started to put a little bit more eyebrow stuff or something on her eyelids or eyebrows or whatever she was doing. And she stuck that pencil in her eye. Well, I mean, when she did, her eyes started watering. She's tearing. And now then all the makeup she's put on is running off into tears. 
And she come running and said, honey, you got to pray for me. And I first told her, I said, well, you know, maybe God's going to do something among all these groups. He's going to speak to a men's group. I said, maybe he's going to do something with, the, with all the makeup running down your face, you know. Who knows what he's going to do, you know. You know, God can do great things, you know. So who knows why this happened. But I said, okay. But she said, I don't want it like this. I said, okay, I understand this, so I pray for you. So I prayed and asked the Lord to fix her eye. Well, 20 minutes later, she calls me back, and she said, I'm just 10 minutes from being there. My eye's not any better. You've got to pray again. And I just jumped right back at her, and I said, no, I prayed once. It's done. I guarantee your eye's healed in the name of Jesus. She said, oh, okay. <laughs> she called me back five minutes later and said, my eye's perfect. There's not a thing wrong with it. So, see, sometimes you have to just get bold like this, and then sometimes there's other ways to get it done. But the Scripture says, in my translation, it says, keep on asking. Ask. Keep on asking, and you will be given what you ask for. Keep on asking. Now, there have been many a time in mine and Cheryl's life that I have had to pray for her something four, five, six, seven, eight, ten times before the answer came. I remember her knee. I mean, when we first got married about nearly three years ago, she had a bad knee. Now, she'd had it for years, and it'd swell up on her and everything. And I noticed every time she'd do something wrong or she'd bend down, and she couldn't walk. You know, she'd happen to get down on her knee or do something. Or she could just do anything that would put pressure on that knee, and it'd swell up. I said, what happened? She said, oh, years ago, I uh, knocked it out of place riding a, in a, in a uh, club, you know, where you these fitness clubs. She was exercising, and her foot slipped out, and she knocked her knee completely out. And uh, had to go to surgery. I don't know what all that. Did they do surgery on your knee, honey? No, I just said rehab. Had to go to rehab. But the knee gave her trouble after that all these years. And every time she'd do anything, she couldn't walk. It'd get sore. It'd swell up and everything else. So I started praying over it. I'd pray over that leg. I'd lay hands on that knee. And I'd pray over it and ask the Lord to heal it. And it'd get good for a week or two. And then it'd do it again. Well, I'd come right back and I'd attack it again. I said, that demon of hell in there that's messing it up, I said, I'm going to kick him out. Last thing I ever do, I'm going to kick him out. And I'd pray over it again. It'd get good for a week or two or three, and then it'd be back. I did this over and over and over for about eight months without fail. Every time the knee swelled up, I'd grab that knee, command that devil to leave, and ask the Lord to fill that knee with the Holy Ghost and power and to heal it and make it perfectly normal. Well, after about eight months, that was it. The devil left, and she ain't never had no more troubles with that knee at all. Now, she'd had problems with it for years. Now, see, what we do as Christians, we pray and it gets better, and then it gets worse. And you think, well, God didn't hear my prayer. He don't, he's not going to do nothing good for me. No, He loves you. You're fighting a battle. You know, you're being put to the test to find out where your persistence is. And are you going to stand on the Word? Are you going to stay in there? Are you going to let the devil beat up on you? Well, hey, the devil wants to win. You know, he's been given the job to try to defeat you. That's his job. He's been given that job to defeat you. But God has given us, as his children, power over all of these things. And if we stand in faith and keep on asking, we're going to overcome it. Just like that great testimony, whenever that lady said with Phil, when the blood starts gushing like a river out of your wife, when the midwife says, Phil, it's time to pray. Well, let me tell you, it's time to pray before that happens. 
you know, because you got to realize you're going to be put to the test in some way, just like Phil and Crystal was put to the test in the delivery of their child. Everything you and me do in life, you're going to have these trials and tests. So just realize God has given you and me the ability and the power to overcome every one of these trials and tests. We can come out on the other side the winner, but you've got to do it with no grumbling and complaining. If you fall into grumbling and complaining, you're going to stay around that mountain a long time. The children of Israel grumbled and complained. That's all they done. They got out there in the wilderness. God said, I will test you or prove you in the wilderness. And they got out there and they said, it would have been better if we would have died out there in the wilderness. There ain't nothing out here. God says, okay, go out there and walk around that mountain. And so they said, we need water. Finally, God brings the water. Then they said, good grief, this manna that's fallen from heaven. We're fed up with this stuff. We want some meat. So they grumbled and complained. We want meat. God finally told Moses, okay, Moses, I hear what the people say. I'm going to send meat tomorrow to feed all of them. And Moses said, God, if you were to kill every fish in the sea, you couldn't feed this multitude by tomorrow with meat. Now, see... Moses was just like you and me, Benjamin. We forget he's God, isn't it? We forget that with him, nothing's impossible. We look at everything the way we see things. But God's beyond us. And he said, I'm not going to just feed them with meat for a day. I'm I'm not going to feed them with meat for a week, but I'm going to feed them meat for a month. And Moses, God, nobody can do this. He said, Moses... Is my arm getting shorter? That's us, huh? We think God's arm getting short. But let me tell you, Benjamin, it ain't short. He can reach way out there, can't he? Well, the next morning, millions of quail flew in. Millions. And they was catching them. They were flying in three feet off the ground. They were reaching up, grabbing hands full of big old white meated quail. I can just imagine how big and fat and luscious those things were since God was sending them. They kill those things. They begin to defeather those things. They cook those things. And they started eating those things. And God was so mad at them because they're grumbling and complaining. It said they had meat to eat, but many of them died while eating them because of their grumbling and complaining. Hey, it didn't do them no good to get that meat. If they died with them in their teeth, did it? You think God likes grumbling and complaining? I don't think so. Those people didn't pass their test. Don't you go there. You keep on asking, and you will get what you have asked for. Just like Cheryl's knee. I mean, we've forgotten that now. You know, but the first eight months, that was a battle. Me and her had to fight. It was a constant battle. But every time they come back, I know I'm a son of God. I know i got the name of Jesus. I know that all the king's answers are yes and amen. So what am I going to do? Pray for my wife's knee one time and then forget it? No, not on your life. I'm going to pray for that knee as many times as it takes until I kick that devil out, till I win the victory, and that she's got a perfect knee that don't give her no trouble. Not with the promises of God and the God I serve. I know He's putting me to the test. I know these trials and tests are for me and Cheryl. And I know you're going to have them. But when you win that victory, He's proved to you that His Word works every time. And so you don't never take no for an answer. He said, you keep on asking, believing until you get it. And he said, you will get it. He said, keep on knocking and you will find. Don't just walk up and knock on the door one time. 
I mean, I walked up to a man's house here a while back, and I knock, 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 knock. Nobody answered. His car is there. Got to be there. Knock, 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 knock. Walked around the back door. Bam, bam, bam. He come to the door. Is around the back. He's, you know, he didn't. Hey, keep on knocking. You know. Well, God's there. He's never out to lunch. Sometimes you go to a house, knock on the front door, the back door, the windows, and everything else, and they may not be in there. But with God, He's always in there. So you keep on knocking until He opens that door, and you get your answer. He tells you, keep on knocking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be opened. You don't never give up with God. You don't never give up. And a lot of people, especially people that come down with serious sickness and disease today, since we have been taught that God don't heal today. We've been taught in church that God does not do miracles and does not heal today. And so you can't have any faith when you live in a place like that. You can't have faith when you don't know the promises of God. You can't have faith to believe something that you don't even know is yours. So because you've not taken the time to get into this book and study it and believe it is really for you, then the devil defeats you. And many people today that go to hospitals that are sick and afflicted, if they would just believe God, they could get their their miracle. They could get their healing. If you're not willing to take no for an answer, you know God's going to put you to the test. He put Juanita to the test just over a little thing like an electric bill. But she stood her ground, and she got her miracle. See? But she, it wasn't just the one simple little thing, was it, Juanita? It took staying in there, staying with it day after day. And so, you know, that's what that's one of the tests. For everyone who asks receives. Who? Hey, that's me and you, right, Benjamin? We are the anyone or the everyone, aren't we? Yes. Everyone that asks receives. So, see, get these promises in your spirit. God has promised this to me. I'm His Son. So, He says, for anyone, everyone who seeks signs. Start reading the Scripture like this. Instead of saying, everyone who seeks signs, put right there, Furman seeks and he finds. Or put, Benjamin seeks and Benjamin finds. Put, Deborah seeks and Deborah finds. Put your name there. Personalize the Word of God to you. You know? But it, I can assure you, since I've learned these principles, God is putting you and me to the test every day to find out what we're made out of. I mean, you go back in the Scripture, and from day one, He's been at this same game. He's never changed. He's put people to the test and tried them from the very first couple... He put the very first couple in the Garden of Eden and put a luscious garden around them and said, you can eat of all the fruit in the garden but the one in the middle. You can't eat of that one. He put them to the test. See, he started out in the beginning putting people to the test. And when you go through the Scriptures, you'll find God has done that with every generation of people over and over and over. He's never changed. His ways have been the same forever. And so, if He put them to the test, what do you think He's going to do to you and me? He's going to put us to the test. So, get used to it. You know, that's why He says, consider these various trials and tests pure joy. You know, whenever a test comes, like Juanita's electric bill. 
soon as she started getting that deal, instead of grumbling and complaining, she said, praise God, this is another test. Lord, we're going to see you do a miracle here. That should have been the attitude she went at this with right from the very beginning. Thank you, Jesus, for another test. I praise you, Lord. And he said, wow. You know, if she'd have just jumped up like that and started praising and thanking him and said, Lord, I praise you and thank you. I'm going to get to go through another test. Probably the second or third day, that would cause that we just cancel this, forget it. The Lord said, she passed my test. She considered it very true. True joy. Isn't that what he says to do? Consider all these trials and tests pure joy. Now, how many of us can do what the king said? Whenever a trial and test comes to your house, how many of you grumble and complain instead of saying, Lord, I consider this pure joy to go through this test? That's not our normal makeup, is it? No, that's not our normal makeup. But when we start praising Him and thanking Him, Lord, I thank You and praise You for this test. I thank You, Lord, that I know that You're in this with me. I know that I'm going to be the winner because You've given me Your promises, and because of these promises, I'm going to be the overcomer in Your name. That devil that's trying to do this, he don't have a chance. He can't possibly win this. He ain't going to keep me down. I'm going to win this because you're in here with me. But you're putting me to the test. So, Lord, I'm this effective prayer, this is going to work. He says, everyone who seeks, everyone who knocks. He says, your parents, if your children ask for a loaf of bread, do you give them a stone instead? How many of you ever had one of your children ask you for a, a biscuit and you handed them a rock? You ever do that to one of your kids? No, of course not. Or if they ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Now, probably some little brothers would do that to their sisters, okay. You know. I mean, Cheryl says her brother used to take those little green snakes and catch her and, you know, scare her with them and try to put them down the back of her dress and everything else, you know, or take a big old June bug, you know, them things got all them little crawly fingers on them, you know. He'd run and grab with those things, pull her shirt out the back, throw him down and then swat her on the back, you know, just mash him, you know. Doesn't that sound just like a brother? Oh, my goodness, especially to his sister. That's just the way life is, you know. And then, of course, then when sister gets mad and starts hollering at him, he hollers, Mama, Cheryl's being mean to me. Doesn't that sound just like us as kids? That's the way we do things, you know. I mean, that's the way it is. Now, it says, of course not. He will not. It says, if you, sinful people, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? The Lord won't never give you a snake when you ask for a fish. He won't ever do that. He'll give you good things. But the thing about it is you need to realize as you go through the test, it's not going to be easy. Very rarely do you just walk out there and say, Lord, I need a hundred dollars. And he said, sure, no problem. Here's 500. Just take it. That usually don't happen like that. Once in a while, he may do something like that for you. But as a rule, he does not. You know what God wants you to do to be able to have money? He wants you to work for it. He wants you to get out there and put yourself to work and get in there and pray. Say, Lord, I don't need money. I need a job. I need a place to work. 
Now, Lord, I'm going to thank you. I'm going to get out there and I'm going to find one. So you put feet to your prayers. I think about, every time I think about this story right here, I think about the woman that had been praying for this, uh, some kind of a club that moved in across the street and they drank and all kinds of stuff and people were parking her yard and do all kinds of stuff and she didn't like it and she prayed and prayed and prayed and asked God to close that thing and everything else and, and nothing ever happened. One day a lady was over helping her, uh, clean house and, and, uh, she said, you know, I wish that club would, would, you know, go away. And she said, would you pray with me that that club will go away? So this little housemaid said, sure. So they prayed and she asked the Lord to do something great to get that thing out of the way, whatever it took to get that club to close it down. Well, that night, the thing burned down. And after it burned down, of course, it was gone. And the next time she saw that little lady, she said, wow, your prayer and mine must have been powerful. She said, I've been praying for months and nothing happened. Oh, she said, that's simple. When I heard you pray, then I thought, well, there's one way to do it. And that's put feet to your prayer. She said, I burned the thing down. <laughs> hey, that's one way to get your prayers answered. Put feet to them. <laughs> Make it happen. <laughs> so it's kind of amazing. When you pray, when you pray, put feet to your prayers. When you say, Lord, I need a job, get out and look for one. You know, don't sit there and do nothing and wait for God to lay it in your lap. Go do something. You know, if you're going to look for a house or whatever, you know, don't just, you know, sit there and say, God, I need this or I need that. Do your legwork. You know, spend time. Get in. I don't care what you're looking for. If you're trying to find a new dress, you know, don't just pray for it and ask God to just drop it in your lap. Pray for it and then believe He will do something. I'm going to tell you all something here that, uh, Ayesha taught Cheryl how to go into eBay and bid on things on the Internet. <laughs> and I told Ayesha, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really going to get you, girl, for this. <laughs> but the other day, Cheryl was in there, and there was a mink, full-length, black mink coat on there. And no, we didn't know what it was, but it was a, the lady said, this is a real uh, coat of some kind. It was really beautiful and it was a, whatever. And so, since she didn't know it was mink, she, it was a very low bid. And Cheryl saw it and, and so she bid $17.50 for this full length black mink coat. And she got it. And when it came in, oh, and she prayed. I know she prayed. Yes, yeah, she all prayed. And she bid $17.50 for this full length. And when it came in, she had it on. And this little lady back here, which just works around mink, she walked in and she saw, she said, Cheryl, that's a full-length mink coat. She said, a friend of mine just bought one of those the other day and give $10,000 for it. And Cheryl got that coat for $17.50. Is that awesome? Is that awesome? Now, see, I mean, I tell her, I said, you know, I mean, I said, when we go somewhere, I said, honey, now, you know, here we go out, we go somewhere in the airplane. You know, here we're this big, beautiful 421 airplane. We step off. She's in her, I said, don't tell people you get 1750 for that. Just let them guess, you know. <laughs> let them think you're married to a rich preacher, you know. <laughs> don't tell them you get 1750 for it. Oh, goodness. I guess that's wrong, too. I shouldn't do that either, you know. So, oh, oh, me. It's amazing, huh? Well, that's right, boy. I mean, she she got a real deal, I will have to say. Yeah, yeah. Now, her singing money. Yeah. 
But you know, isn't it amazing that since she's been obedient and served God and, and walked with Him, He gave her a full-length mink coat that's who knows what it's really worth, but thousands of dollars, I can tell you for sure. And she got it for, well, freight and everything was less than $30. You know, the whole thing, less than 30 bucks. And she's wore that thing everywhere. I mean, it's a beautiful coat. You know, it's a beautiful thing. I mean, it's fantastic. But, you know, it's amazing what God can do for you and how He can do it if you'll just serve Him and love Him, you know. So, you, don't, you, can, you can wear nice clothes and you don't have to give a lot of money for them. All you've got to do is learn how to pray. You know, learn how to pray. So, I'm telling you, when you ask God for things, He says, if you will love me and you will put me first in everything you do, I, God, will give you the desires of your heart. He'll give you the desires of your heart. So, he, on effective prayer here, he's telling us what to do. Now then, he says here, after he says, it, says this, he says, the next verse, verse 12, says, this is also called the golden rule in a lot of people. Do for others what you would have them do for you. This is a summary of all that is taught in the law and the prophets. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And that's where this little thing got started. What am I going, how am I going to treat this woman? You know, how am I going to treat this man? How am I going to treat this man? How am I going to treat this woman? Well, think about it like this. I wonder what Jesus would do for her. What would Jesus do? If you think about that and you treat everybody like, how would Jesus treat this person? What would he do here? Did you know that if you start looking at everybody like that, then you will treat people like that. Then the Lord says, if you do that to them, it will be done unto you. He will return unto you exactly what you give. So I remember one time when I have a nephew that has cerebral palsy. He's now in his mid-40s. I know exactly why he has that, too. Because of the sin in his daddy's life when he was being carried in the womb. I didn't understand it then, but I do now. But anyway, he has trouble reading. He, has, he can walk and he can read. He graduated from high school, but he has trouble reading. He has trouble talking. It's kind of hard to understand him. I have prayed over him multitudes of times, and I have never been able to get that boy set free. But anyway... One time I went home, and he was there when my, when my mom was still alive, and he was spent a lot of time at her house. And I asked him, I said, Ed, you going to church? No, I quit. I said, what? You quit going to church? Yeah, Uncle Thurman, he says, they asked me to read. And I don't want to read. I can't hardly read. It takes me too long. I said, Eddie, you know why those boys ask you to read? He said, well, no. I said, because they don't want to make you feel like you're left out. They don't want you to feel bad. So they don't want to come along here and say, you read this and you read this and, oh, you read, we'll skip you. I said, because they feel like they're hurting you. I said, what they're really trying to do, those boys are trying to love you. And you're listening to the devil. You're listening to the wrong voice. I said, you go back to that Sunday school class next Sunday. You go in there and you sit down. When you get in there and say, now then, guys, you know I have trouble reading, so don't ask me to read. 
I don't want to read. You guys do the reading. You can read right up to me, but when it comes to me, you all know i got cerebral palsy. I said, I know it'll take you a little while to tell them that, because you can't trouble talk. But I said, you tell them, I have cerebral palsy, and you guys know I have cerebral palsy, and you know I have trouble talking. So I don't want to read. I don't want to take up the time in the class. I just want to be here and listen and be a part of the body of Christ. About six months later, I was home, and I said, where are you going, son? He said, oh, a couple of boys coming out to get me. We're going to Sunday school. I said, oh, so you did go back. Oh, yeah. He said, man. He said, Uncle Thurman, that was exactly the problem. He said, they told me. He said, well, we knew you had trouble reading, but Eddie, we didn't want to confront your situation. We didn't want to confront your problem. But we didn't know how to approach it. We didn't want to hurt you. Isn't that amazing? Hey. See? But if you're, if you're serving God and you're in the Word, you understand these things. And so I said, you go in there and you love them boys. And them boys will love you. I said, they'll do great things for you. And if you have a problem, if one of us has a problem, see, instead of just sitting back and letting something overtake us, hey, just jump out there and say, hey, I don't want to do that. You know, I don't feel comfortable doing that. You know, just, it's just that easy. You know, you want to help me do this? Well, thinking, I really don't, but since you're the pastor and you asked me to, I guess I'll try. No, if you don't think you can do it, say, hey, I don't believe I can do that. I don't feel comfortable in that. I'll go with you, but I don't think I can do that. But I'd love to go with you. You know, hey, okay. You know, just tell me. See, whatever you would do, to someone else, that's what's going to come back to you. So if you walk in God's kind of love, guess what's going to come back to you? Love. If you walk in anger or hatred, guess what's going to come back to you? Anger and hatred. God shall not be mocked. Whatever a man sows, that's what's going to come back to him. That's what he's going to reap. I don't know about you, but I'd a whole lot rather reap love. Had you? I'd a whole lot rather reap love. So it's that's a that is a spiritual law. That God is put in effect and it's going to work whether you like it or not. It's going to work because He made a spiritual law and He said, whatsoever you sow, that you're going to reap. So He wrote a golden rule. Do for others what you would have them do for you. So, if you do good to them, they're going to do good to you. If you love them, they're going to love you. If you hate them and talk evil about them, they're going to hate you and talk evil about you. That's just the way it's going to be. So, we just don't understand these principles. Then he says in the next verse, you can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad. And its gate is wide for the many who choose the easy way. Many choose the easy way. But the gateway to life is very narrow or very small, and the road is narrow, and only a few will find it. Do you want to be one of those few? You know, after Cheryl and I got married, after walking together for a few months, she told me one day, she said, you walk in a place that I've never dreamed of. She said, you walk in a place on a razor blade. I said, yes, I do. She said, the pathway you walk is not just narrow. She said, it's a razor blade. I said, I know. That's what God told me. 
the pathway to life is very narrow. And few there will be that will find this path, that will read this book, that will walk where he says walk. Am I going to walk this thing? And I've come to realize the faster you walk it, the easier it is to walk. The slower you try to walk it, the more difficult it is to stand on that razor blade. In fact, I saw something this week. We took a few days off this week and just had a little vacation Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. And we went up to Branson, Missouri. The team of us did, six of us. And we went to a few shows. And in one of the shows, I saw a man do something that if you had have told me as an engineer this could possible, I, I would have never dreamed this could have been possible. But I saw a man climb a ladder in the middle of a platform with nothing supporting it. He climbed up a ladder about eight foot tall, and I thought, this is great. He climbed up and straddled the top and sat there with the ladder setting straight up. Now, try that sometime. <laughs> and then after I saw him do I thought, this is absolutely fantastic. And then, to top that off, I saw him take two little foot things and put right in the very top of the, of the ladder and climb up on the top of that ladder, get up on the top deal, and then put one foot on this and one foot on that and stand on the top of that ladder. And then, and then, after this, I saw him take a three-bladed thing and put a cap on top of his head and he light each one of these, and he spun these things and they're going around on top of his head, and then he's standing there with three more of them, torches in his hand, and he is juggling all three of these things standing on top of this thing. And then if that wasn't enough, then I saw him take and take one foot off of that and then put three rings around it, and he's swinging them things around on his leg. Now he said, you children that are seen, don't go home and try this in your front room. Don't light these torches and try to climb this ladder in your front room. Because if you do, you're going to burn your daddy's house down. Now, what is the limitations that we have as human beings today? It's all right here. This man had accomplished something that I thought was impossible. I wouldn't even have dreamed of trying to climb a ladder without something holding it up. But this guy climbed an eight-foot ladder straight up and then done all those other things, and we all saw this. You know? It, it is amazing what God has made in the human being. And what the human being can do when they have in their mind and in their heart that nothing is impossible with me. I can do this. I can do this. But see, we go through life thinking, I can't do that. That would be impossible. Somebody said, why don't you climb that ladder? Okay, put it up against the wall. I can climb the ladder. No, 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 don't lean it again. They'll just stand it up in the middle of the floor. You're crazy. Nobody can climb a ladder standing up in the middle of the floor. But one day this guy said, I believe I can do that. And he learned how to do that. And he thought, well, you know, if I can climb the ladder, maybe I can do something else. And he just kept improving on all these. It's awesome what he done. So, you know, that's just like that's just like a few years ago when I first started learning to fly. You know, I mean, I got in a little bitty tiny single engine airplane with a guy. Ty has just recently done this, and you get in a little single engine airplane with two seats in it and an instructor, and they take you up and teach you how to hold the airplane level and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, it looks easy. And then when the guy says, I remember when he told me, he said, okay, now that I've showed you how the yoke works and all the stuff works and the rudder pedals, now then just 
put the horizon right there off of the cow and just fly straight and level for about two or three minutes. And you reach up with a death grip. You know, I mean, a death grip. You know, you're crumbling. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be so hard. And then the day comes, you know, that a little while later, you, you go out there and get in an airplane, you know, that you've got a big, long checklist. You read down other stuff, set everything. Get out there on the end of the runway, take off, go up. Got retractable gear, constant speed props, and multi-engines, all kinds of stuff. And you go up to nine or 10,000 feet and fly across with a GPS. And in an hour and a half, you're home from Branson. Beautiful trip. What happened between the day you got in the airplane with that, by your, with that little bitty tiny thing and the day you feel so comfortable in the big one? A lot of practice. That's the difference. A lot of practice. Like Ty told me the other day, he's having a problem with something. He's only got about 100 hours now. And he's having a problem with something. He says, where were you when I needed you? He said, I need the man with thousands of hours of experience out here to help me. You know, but see, he'll get, to, he'll get there. He's already well on his way, but he's had a lot of practice. And the more practice he has, the better he is. I got tickled at Cheryl though. They said when he first got his airplane, he got all the family, including Cheryl, out there, and he taxied them down the runway. <laughs> see, he knows he's not a licensed pilot. He knows he's not a licensed pilot. But he tells Cheryl, don't she, wouldn't you like to have to go around the pattern me one time? She says, no, you don't have a license. I eat, we eat, fly with you. We'll ride with you on the ground, but not in the air. <laughs> he wanted to fly with his family. But it, now he can. He takes them all the time. And the other day I got tickled at him. He went down to a football game, I think, in the uh, college station or wherever it was the other day to watch the uh, Aggies play. And he took his son with him. And on the way back to the dead. He said, well, we're going to fly back at night. He said, Dad, don't think we ought to wait until the morning. Nah, I said, we're going to fly back at night. And he told me when I saw him, he said, yeah, I've learned how to make your son a prayer warrior. <laughs> he said, take you flying at night. <laughs> oh. So see, if you can't get them to pray one way, then put them in a dangerous situation, you know. You can teach them how to pray and pray effectively, see. So there's many ways to do this. But the Lord tells us there how to become effective prayer warriors. And then he tells us how to treat people. And then he tells us about the narrow gate that you and I need to walk. And I don't know about you, but I want to wind up in heaven someday, don't you? Well, he tells me to get there. There's a very narrow path that I've got to follow to get there. But I want to follow that narrow path. I don't want to take the world's ways. Now then, the very next one he says here in this uh, Matthew 7, he says the, the tree and its fruit, he says beware of false prophets in verse 15. Beware of false prophets. Let me tell you, there's a lot of them out there. There's very few real prophets out there, but there's a lot of false ones. Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep. They come disguised as harmless sheep. But they are really wolves that will tear you apart. So you better be cautious. You can detect them by the way they act. You can detect them by the way they act. 
Just as you can identify a tree by its fruit. You don't pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles. A healthy tree produces only good fruit. And an unhealthy tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. And a bad tree can't produce good fruit. It's impossible. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, the way to identify a tree or a person is by the kind of fruit that it produces. You can tell. A man walks in and says, I know Jesus. Oh, yeah? Tell me about your Jesus. Me and Jesus got a deal. You go to church? Nope. Tell me about your Jesus. And for the next two or three minutes, he tells you about his Jesus. And in the course of it, he's using words of profanity. He's taking God's name in vain. You want his Jesus? No. Does he know Jesus? No. Does he think he knows Jesus? Yes. But does he know the King? He don't know. Don't have a clue who he is. Don't have a clue. How can you tell a real Christian by their fruit? Are they walking in love? Are they going to church? Do they love to be with Jesus? Do they love to be around God's people? Are they producing fruit for the kingdom of God? Are they helping people that's needy? You know? Are they walking in love? Are they doing anything for the kingdom of God? Are they saving the lost? Are they healing the sick? Are they casting out demons? Do they have any attributes that God's children should have? If they don't have, you need to be very careful of those people. It's like the other day, a story about a man that was a pilot, and he got killed flying a little 150. Airline captain for American Airlines, flying to big boys all over the country. But he loved to play, you know, and that's okay. You know, lots of pilots love to play, especially getting a little airplane. They like to do, and he was a great pilot. But he went out one day, and he, his little 150, he flew it from DFW Airport to his ranch where he lived up here. And it was a, just a few-minute flight, that little 100-mile-an-hour 150, but it was a pretty good little jog if you had to drive a car. So he had his little airplane, and he flew it, landed on his farm, had a little hangar there for it and everything. Well, now he goes by and gets a great big 50-pound battery for a piece of equipment. And he just sets it behind the seat in his 150. Didn't strap it down. And a Cessna 150, between the baggage compartment there and the back of the airplane, there's just a little cloth thing hanging there. That's all. <clears throat> it won't hold nothing. They're just so lightly built. He forgot that battery was sitting there. He comes over his runway, high-speed pass, and he was going to do a little wing over right quick, you know, turn it, raise it up, back it down, and come back and land this way. He forgot that battery was back there. When he pulled it straight up like that, that battery fell right down to the tail. And a 50-pound battery throws the center of gravity so far off in a Cessna 150, the little thing spun out and kicked head down. And he killed him. Tore his airplane all to pieces. A mistake that you don't never want to make. And he won't make it but once. 
There's no room for error in airplanes, is there, Keith? No room for error. You've got to be on your toes all the time. That day, this great pilot with thousands of hours of flying, an American Airlines captain, got killed in a little Cessna 150 because he made one little mistake. He had millions of dollars worth of insurance. His wife is now well taken care of. Millions. Got all the money in the world she'd ever need. Middle-aged woman. At the funeral, one of his friends comes in and just comforts her and comforts her and everything. And first thing you know, she's married to his friend. And within a couple of years, she is flat stone broke. He has spent every nickel she had. And she has lost everything she had. I'm telling you, there is sheep. Appears to be sheep, but they're wolves in sheep's clothing. Now, that guy might tell you he's a Christian, but is he? He's not the kind of Christian I want to know. Not the kind I want to know. And if he'd really been a Christian... He'd have married this girl and he'd have taken care of her instead of spending all of her money. The Lord tells you to be cautious, be careful. The next verse says this is where you can tell a true disciple, a real man or woman of God. Not all people who sound religious are really godly. You have to be careful. They may refer to me as Lord. I mean, I know Jesus. He's my Lord. But they still won't enter the kingdom of heaven. The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. You mean I got to obey? To be able to go to heaven. I thought all I had to do was just believe in Jesus. How many people have you heard say, Once saved, always saved. You walk down that aisle. You accept Jesus, Lord, and save. You can go do anything you want to do. And you're okay. I don't line up with the Word, does it? Don't line up with the Word of God. I mean, you, when you become a Christian, you not only got to confess with your mouth and believe with your heart, you got to become a changed person. You've got to now walk in obedience to God's law. If God says don't sin, He means for you not to sin. Or if you do sin once in a great while, then you need to immediately come and ask Him to forgive you and get right back in fellowship. When He says don't lie, He means don't lie. When He says don't steal, He means don't steal. When He says thou shalt not commit adultery, that's what He means. There are people in the church today that are living with someone out of wedlock, neither one of them are married, then they're going to church and they think they're going to be okay. Those two people die in that sin, guess what? They're going to bust hell wide open. They ain't going to be in heaven because they're not obeying the commands of God. Isn't that something? The decisive issue is whether they obey my Father in heaven. On judgment day, many will tell me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. That's scary, isn't it? Remember all ago he said there's a lot of false prophets out there? Lord, we prophesied in your name and we cast out demons in your name. And we perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Go away from me. The things you did 
were unauthorized. Isn't that scary? It all comes down to your walk. You can't be a Christian and live like the world and go to heaven. Too many people believe that if I just go to church on Sunday, I'm okay. How many people have I met in airplanes and elevators and all over this world in places and I say, do you know Jesus? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Oh, where do you go to church? Oh, I don't go to church. Me and God got a deal. How many mechanics and guys like that have I met that, I, that back in the engineering world, they'd be working on something and i say, are you a Christian? Well, yeah, yeah. You know Jesus? Well, yeah, yeah, I know Him. I said, well, then where do you go to church? Well, I don't go to church. Me and God got a deal. You know, I don't have to go to church. You ever heard any of them like that, Keith? You hear them all the time, don't you? All day, yeah. You know, well, I'm okay. I'm okay. You know, don't bug me about this stuff. I'm okay. And then they turn. I remember a man that used to work for me years ago. He went to church every Sunday. But man out there on that floor working on them trucks, boy, he could spit out some of the worst words you ever heard in your life. One day I walked up to him and I said, Sir, I said, I know you go to church on Sunday. I know you go to church every Sunday. I mean, I've heard you talk about it. this Sunday. We're going, we're going to be out of town on vacation. We've already made plans to stop at this particular church in this city. We're going to go to church. I said, you know, if you really are a Christian, Jesus said he's going to judge you for every word that comes out of your mouth. And he said, you're not to use any words that won't glorify our Savior. And I said, I hear you say those nasty, derogatory curse words on a regular basis. I said, if you're really a son of God, if you really do know Jesus, I said, now that I've confronted you, you'll stop using those curse words. I knew that man for 25 years after that, and I never one time heard him take another word, another curse word, never. Now, what did that prove to me? Was he a son of God? Yes, he was. He knew the Lord because the Lord convicted him. Now, what if I hadn't confronted him? What if I hadn't confronted him with that? He would have kept right on doing it. See, that's why the Lord tells you and me, we are to confront sin in the lives of other people. But the first thing you've got to do, you can't be using those kind of words too. You've got to make sure your mouth is clean. And only God can clean up that mouth. But there's a lot of requirements, according to the Word of God, to be a Christian, isn't there? A lot. You know, I thought today, today I put, I don't know why I do so much studying. Because I studied last night till 2 o'clock this morning, and then got up this morning, studied again, and I got... Matthew 7, 7 through 23. Then I thought, well, that'll last 15 minutes. Then I go to Luke 18, 1 through 8. And then I go to Luke 19, 11 through 27. And I looked up here, and it's 10 minutes after 4, and I've just barely got through the first ones in Matthew 7. <clears throat> it's amazing how fast time goes by. I look up, and I thought, good grief, Lord, I've only got the first chapter 7 part. Slow down the clock, Lord. I, I, you know, I, I, I need more time. Don't you love to talk about God's Word? I don't know if the time goes by as fast for you as it does for me. 
But I don't, I don't understand how a preacher can preach 15 minutes. I just don't understand how that can happen. Because in 15 minutes, I can't hardly tell you hello. <laughs> Father, I thank you for this beautiful day. I know the people have sat here for two hours, Lord. And I praise you and thank you for every one of them that come. And I pray, Lord, that your word today has touched all of our hearts and that when we leave here, all of us, starting with me, we will be better Christians. We'll walk closer in obedience to your word and we'll have more love and compassion for others. Lord, help us to help each other and be about your business. Help us, Lord, to understand the trials and tests that we're going through and that through prayer these things can be overcome. And Lord, I thank you for all the wonderful testimonies I got to hear today from all the people. And many of them were voiced up here on the platform, but many of them I got to hear personally. And they were not voiced from up here. And Lord, I get to be blessed above all because I get to hear all these people's testimonies. And I thank you for that privilege, Lord. I thank you for each one of these people that you're changing their life. I'm so grateful for everyone. Lord, I want to personally tell you how much I love you and how much I thank you for what you've done from the very first day that I spoke right here, that if you're going to do something for Christmas this year, do it for somebody that does not know anything about Jesus or somebody that's not going to have a Christmas. And that year, I had no idea that this lovely woman sitting up in the front, which a few years later would be my wife, would that day start that benefit for Christ Haven and touch so many lives. And Lord, because I made one statement from this platform... It moved, you moved on her heart, and she has touched so many lives in the last five years and blessed so many people. And so many people have been blessed by giving, and you've been able to bless those others because they gave. I thank you for her, Lord. And I thank you that you brought her to me as my mate. And, Lord, I thank you for blessing us. And I thank you for blessing each one here in this room today. I thank you for blessing each one of them with a mate that has one. And those that don't have one that want one, I ask you to bless them with a good one someday when it's your time. Train us and raise us up and lift us up to be a godly group of men and women that will be used mightily to produce fruit for the kingdom of God. And Lord, may everything we do have an impact on the lives of people around us. May we walk in such dedication to you and such love to you and such service to you that we will see you do such great and mighty things that everybody will know just when they hear what you're doing through us that we have to be sons and daughters of yours, really true sons and daughters of God. Because we want you to do things that only you can do. And Lord, we praise you and thank you for those things. Lord, as we go this week, and especially as we have the Christ Haven deal next Saturday, I ask you to bless every one of the people that come to it. I ask you to bless every person that gave and every child and every woman that will receive gifts next week. May they be so inspired by the love of God that they'll know that these things all come from the King of Kings, that this is all about Jesus and His love for them. So may every one of those children that have been beat up on and battered and those women may their lives be so changed that they'll come to know who you are as Lord and Savior. That's the most awesome gift you can give anybody, Father, is salvation.
Thank you for it. Thank you for blessing all of us. Thank you for the good health, the salvation, everything you bless all of us with here in this room. And those that are sick or afflicted or have a need before they leave today, I ask you, Lord, to meet their need through us as we pray for them. May every need be met today. And we praise you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.